The Buddha's teachings are uh, considered to be a middle way towards freedom, a middle path to freedom in the heart and in the mind. Meaning that there are possibly many, many, many ways, but this is an offering that is somewhere uh, in the middle of extremes, we could say of extreme practices. And so when we hear that, that this is a middle path, I know in my mind, early on in, the pra- in my practice, um, that I would conjure up uh, an image of what that would actually be. I had an idea of what that meant to be living and practicing in the middle way. Almost as if you could draw this linear line and walk it and just not fall to either side of it. And there was something, um, something very linear about the, this concept of this middle path. And I think that's kind of what we do with most concepts is we solidify them. We get a simplified idea of what it means. Um, and in this case, it can be actually kind of harmful and even very frustrating in our practice if that is what we do with this concept. is create some kind of um, belief or idea that is very solid about what that path is for us as an individual. I think if you truly understand this this phrase path, this middle way, then there's more of an understanding that what's meant by that is to be in the flow of life, to be in this constantly moving, always changing, very unpredictable in many ways, uncontrollable life. That we are riding that. And so because life is always changing, uh, we are always changing. We are a part of that flow. We're in that flux with it. There's no one here who is an exception to that rule. And so our practice imitates that. Our practice and the way that we practice what we need in order to stay on this middle path is constantly changing. It's in constant flux. What worked yesterday might not work today or tomorrow. Our practice a year ago is probably not what our practice looks like or feels like today. It's constantly changing, but we can easily uh, make this concept a linear one. And that can be harmful. And so I want to start this talk with that as our container about effort and energy that what we bring to our practice in terms of our energy and effort is constantly changing. I'd like to read you this beautiful poem by Donna Folds uh, called Allow, which I think 
uh, encapsulates this, this idea of life being in flux and that this middle way is actually us releasing into that flux and change. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt, containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak. Fear, fantasies, failures, and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. And so this idea is, um, you know, not to, um, not to be stuck in this delusion that because we practice or because we think of ourselves as spiritual or even think of ourselves as good people, that our life will not um, take turns and go around bends that are... Uh, unknown to us, uncontrollable by us, that um, we're going to experience uh, death, the loss of loved ones, that we're going to experience uncomfortable change, and that we're going to experience heart-opening, maybe heart-shattering open experiences in our life, that all of this is a part of being human, and as we practice and we become more attuned to that, that, that flux and that change, that what we're doing is figuring out over and over again how to let go and relax into that change. I've often talked about dukkha here as um, being this feeling of friction, Dukkha is um, the Pali word, if you're not familiar with it, if it's a new word, is um, Pali is the, um, the language that the Buddha's teachings were recorded in. And um, Dukkha is often um, talked about in Buddhist circles because it's an important word. It's a word that uh, means suffering or unsatisfactoriness. Um, it is the rub It is the friction that we feel within ourselves, in our minds, and in our hearts uh, when we are coming up against the way things actually are, when we are preferring our um, delusions and the illusions uh, that we would prefer our life to be like, when we are um, grasping at uh, a dream, a, a wanting our life to be a certain way, instead of just being actually in what is it right now. When we can't be just with what's here right now, um, we can't be with anything because it's all we have. And so we struggle. We feel lost. We feel unwhole in some way. It's often what brings us to a practice is 
the dukkha. And because it brings it to our brings us to this practice, it's often what we're fighting against. It's often what we're wanting to get rid of, and we are wanting to fix. Um, we want that band-aid so badly, and we're hoping that this will be it. And um, it is, in a sense, but the only way that it is is by actually being able to settle into that which is uncomfortable being able to breathe with things not going our way, actually seeing things as they are, which is sometimes uncomfortable. And when we do that, and I think this is what this uh, poem uh, allow highlights, there can be this exquisite release, an exquisite experience of, oh, I've been fighting so hard, and now I can just rest in this. But we have to learn how to uh, move with this flux, this ever-changing experience, our ever-changing selves. Some of you know um, that I am a sailor, that I sail and have a boat and... um, often take it out on the, on the bay here. And um, I remember when I first started to learn to sail, it was very awkward. I was very awkward <laughs> on the sailboat. Um, you know, we would um, change course, and I would just go flying to the other side, or a wave would hit, and I'd, you know, be thrown, and I just looked like this rag doll that was being pushed around by all the swells, and uh, the currents, and the waves, and the movement of the boat. And I noticed at some point on maybe my first or second sail that the people who knew how to sail, nobody else was being thrown around (laughs) like I was being thrown around. Everyone else looked actually quite comfortable. Um, I looked probably ridiculous. (laughs) But everyone else seemed to have this ability to stay with the rhythm of what was happening. And it wasn't necessarily that they were able to predict it. It was just that they were um, attuned to the fact that there was, in fact, movement. They were attuned to the fact that um, if they could relax into the movement of the boat, that they could move with it and not be thrown by it. And so this was something that I had to learn. And, um, and now I don't have to think about it. You know, I had to think about it in the beginning. Just like anything that we learn, right? You have to really be thoughtful about it. And there's a lot of intention and a lot of effort to just try and go with, okay, this is what I'm doing right now. And it's awkward and strange. And then it becomes less strange. And then it becomes the most normal thing there is. And so now when I'm out on the bay, I'm not thrown around and I'm able to relax into the swaying and the jolts and the movement and uh, not even think about it. It's like the body and the mind just kind of knows what's, what to do. And our practice is this way where 
not just in the beginning, but at certain stages in our practice, too. So those of you who have been doing this for a really long time, you know that we go through phases in our practice where everything, maybe everything's going swimmingly, and then all of a sudden we hit something. It's um, maybe uh, a really deep emotion uh, gets unearthed, or uh, we hit disinterest and boredom, or... Um, we hit doubt or something like that, and we just get thrown. Or when you're at the beginning of your practice, it's all very strange. This is a very strange thing to come and do, really, if you think about what everyone else is doing today or this evening. This isn't necessarily it. (laughs) This looks pretty strange to a lot of people. And so we have to learn how to relax into the strangeness, into the discomfort that arises, um, into the mind that is all over the place. How many of you had a mind that was just all over the place during that last sit? Anybody? Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) Because that would be normal. (laughs) That would be, you know, a common experience. And so even with a mind like that or a body that's really restless, anybody have a restless body during that sit? Mm -hmm. How do we relax into even that? How do we see it not separate from the middle way, from the path or from the practice? How do we uh, just simply fall into it, greet it, move with it. Oh, this is what my meditation is right now. It's restless. Oh, okay, what is that like? Oh, my mind is spinning out of control. It just wants to think about this conversation over and over and over again. I haven't even had this conversation yet, but it just wants to go there, go there, go there. Oh, this is what my meditation is right now. Can we move into it? Can we allow, oh, here I am. This is what's happening. Or do we throw up you know, all of our resistance and <sighs> kind of power ourselves down and feel like I'm going to redirect this ship <laughs> in the direction I want it to. Sometimes that works. <laughs> Sometimes it works, but boy, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort. It can often lead to a lot of dukkha, too. You know, a lot of straining, a lot of tightness, a lot of disappointment when it doesn't work. So this idea of allow, I want you to just feel the body for a moment. Do whatever you need to do to just bring your attention inside. Maybe you need to close your eyes I want you to notice any tightness, notice any discomfort. You don't have to you know, stay with it if it's really, really uncomfortable. You can move your attention elsewhere if, if possible or open your eyes and let the visual come in if it's too much. But otherwise, just notice and breathe. And in your mind, just very quietly, whisper aloud and relax. See if you can relax around the discomfort. 
Maybe those muscles decide to relax. Maybe they don't. If it's up in your shoulders or your neck, see if your arms and your hands can relax. See if your face can relax. If it's a pit in your stomach or in your chest, see if you can feel your body sitting on that chair and feel the warmth of that. Maybe some comfort in that. Let the thighs and the legs relax, the toes relax. If it's the mind that's really busy and agitated, see if you can just allow it to be. Every now and then feel the breath. There's just not a lot of fighting that needs to happen here. We fight our experience so often in our practice and, of course, we've got that habit because this is what we're doing outside of our practice. So if you want, you can stay in this meditation and just listen and follow along or you can open your eyes and come out of it a little bit, especially if you're feeling sleepy, which then leads me to what I want um, to focus on next, which is our energy Well, how is energy related to all of this? Our energy level is, um, it's a part of our effort. It has a lot to do with how much effort we need to put in. It's It's a very subtle experience that I think relates very much to, um, this idea of allow versus fighting. And so we can start our meditations. In fact, every meditation I do these days, I start by noticing what's my energy level right now, just naturally, without me bringing anything to it. What's my energy level? I start every meditation like this, and sometimes I revisit it in the middle and even at the end. What's my energy level? It doesn't seem very important. It doesn't seem very relevant um, until you get into it. And then you realize, wow, this really affects my mind states, the clarity of my mind. It affects my body and how restless or settled it is. Our energy level has a lot to do with just our overall condition. And so to bring attention to our energy level, I'm feeling just naturally sleepy right now. I'm feeling... Uh, just fine, really kind of balanced somewhere in the middle. I'm feeling really hyper right now. I have a lot of energy. Sitting still is going to be really hard. So taking a moment to notice this immediately in our sit. And then adjusting. You don't have to fight it. There isn't uh, some rule that says, well, you're not going to be a good meditator unless you have this. (laughs) This, level, this kind of balanced, soothed energy level in the body. It's about meeting what's actually happening right now. Oh, it's like this. This is what it is. This is very subtle, very simple level ex- of experience. It's not personal. It just is. It's just how we are in this moment. It changes. It'll change during the course of your meditation. It'll change from day to day. Um, It's just this wonderful uh, 
aspect of experience that we can start bringing a lot more attention to. You can bring attention to this outside of your formal meditation. Allow it to be your practice during the day, just noticing, what's my energy level right now? It could be at work or you know, at home, you're fixing your breakfast, fixing your dinner, uh, you're doing some emails, whatever it is that you're up to. What's my energy level right now? And then see if some sort of adjustment is needed. I could bring in a little more energy into my body right now. That would be helpful for my mind and my overall well-being. I need to relax a little bit. Wow, I'm really tight and stressed and anxious. And wow, now that I'm noticing that this is my energy level, I can really feel it through my whole body. There's, there's something going on. I need to just take a pause and take a breath. So this really simple instruction can actually give us a lot of needed information, important information. When we're not aware of it, of our energy level, of our energy in the body, we can be fooled by um, just how we're actually doing. We can get through a whole day without actually knowing how we're doing. We can get through weeks, maybe months, maybe years of not really knowing how we're doing. And then eventually it hits us in some way, either through physical illness or maybe even mental illness. It catches up to us. We become overly stressed. We become really agitated, maybe really angry in a way that, and we're not even sure where that came from. When we can notice it more often, what we might notice are the hindrances arising. So our energy can often be linked with the hindrances. There are five classical hindrances in the Buddhist teachings. The ones that I find most arise related to energy, um, restlessness, sloth and torpor. So those are kind of two ends of the spectrum. and doubt. And that doubt often comes in related to our energy level. How many of you have experienced uh, the nods where you just, it's like every time you sit, <laughs> your body, <laughs> there are a lot of hands, the, the body just is like, oh great, it's time for bed. And so there's that aspect of the experience, right? But then what does the mind do with that? Is it able to just be with that? Oh, this is just sleepiness. This is that sloth and torpor, those kind of archaic words that they use to, for that particular hindrance. This is what's happening right now. Or does it start to bleed into doubt? Oh, I really suck at this. Oh, I'm disturbing everyone around me. I think I was snoring. I shouldn't be here. I should just leave. I should get up right now. I, this is not where I should be right now. Has anyone experienced that? <laughs> With, <laughs> I'm seeing some laughter. Is that because it's a yes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, doubt can arise so quickly related to, to our energy level. Restlessness is the same way. It's a slightly different story, but it leads into the same direction because we have this idea of what it should be like 
or how it should be going or what it's like for everybody else except for us. We start to get really judgmental about it. And that doubt just starts to settle in real cozy-like and becomes more familiar than the allow that we're, that, that we're actually going for. So we can start to notice this subtlety um, with the hindrances. It's interesting, this idea of, of optimal energy, what that would look like or what that's supposed to be in our sitting. We have an idea of what that is, right? We have an idea of what we want it to be. But the truth is, um, at least in my own experience, um, the optimal energy, energy changes. It is, it is in flux like everything else. And so I find that sometimes um, when I'm sick and really tired because of it, I can get really concentrated. It's like that low level of energy somehow just in that heaviness of the body when you don't feel good. And all you can do is be in the body. The mind is just, you know, on vacation. It's just checked out. You're just in your cold or your flu or whatever it is and feeling feeling that there's really no ex- escape from it it's great to sit with that it's the perfect time to go and sit in meditation but we don't think of it that way we think oh i'm sick i'm i can't do that right because we have this idea of what the optimal energy should be when really what I, I find uh, it allows us to collect the mind in some way. The mind um, doesn't have the energy to get really busy or to overthink it. It becomes simplified. The whole practice becomes really simplified. Maybe all you can do is feel the achiness of your muscles or maybe you find the sweetness of your breath in the kind of yuckiness of the body in that moment but you can feel that sweetness of breath and all you want to do is stay there and so you do. This could be the optimal energy of the body in that moment. And then uh, there's other times where there can be a lot of energy in the body. We think, oh, it's way too much. There's no way I'm going to be able to sit still with this. Um, So sometimes the right thing to do is not sit still with it. Get up and walk. Get up and walk and meditate. Walking meditation. It, we can make so many excuses for ourselves. Oh, it's not perfect, so I'm not going to do it. It can be the perfect opportunity to go take your body out for a walk and feel the energy in your body. Feel the movement in your legs. When we can take a mind or a body that has a lot of energy and focus it in a wise, helpful way, uh, concentration can actually really easily grow in the mind and in the body. Our mind becomes collected and strong in that collection of attention because it has this level of energy. So who knows what the optimal energy is? We have to stop making excuses or, or believing these ideas of what it should be and then making excuses when 
when it's not optimal, what we think is optimal, and then stop our practice because of it. If we're waiting for the right conditions all the time, we'll never do this. They very rarely appear in the ways that we have in our mind. I can tell you there are many times um, I've been in some really amazing places to practice. Uh, Maybe some of you have done this where you're out in nature and it's just glorious out. Beautiful weather, nobody's around, you're in this serene setting and you think, I'm just going to sit and meditate. This is perfect. I bet this was what it was like for the Buddha. (laughs) And you sit down and all is well for maybe two minutes. And then, you know, maybe you feel an itch because maybe there's some flies. And then, you know, it's a little too quiet. I don't know. It's a little eerie. I can't quite settle. Or there's a little bit of wind, and you just, I wish that wind would just kind of go away. And there's always something, right? In the most serene, beautiful places, there's always something for us to find to be annoyed or agitated and come up with the excuse. Okay, well, that's it. I'm done. It's not, it's not quite what I thought. This is not going to be perfect. I don't want it. We just do this over and over again in our life. If it's not in meditation, it's something else. It's in our work. It's in our relationships. It's uh, with what we have, longing for what we don't have. It's our memories. We do it with everything, don't we? Hmm. This is a sweet um, poem that just made me laugh a little bit when I first read it in relation to this talk. Thinking about just what it takes to stay with what's here. These different energy bodies and minds and whatever else is going on. Just the patience, the level of patience that's actually needed to be able to do this, this practice and to live this life in a way that is somewhere in that middle path. This is Jane Hirschfield. It's called My Species. Even a small purple artichoke boiled in its own bittered and darkening waters grows tender, grows tender and sweet. Patience, I think, my species. Keep testing the spiny leaves, the spiny heart. Our sweet spiny leaves and our sweet spiny hearts, we just think it should be so different than it is. But it's the patience to be with, oh, this is what's happening right now. Oh, we're changing again. Oh, it's not happening the way I thought again. It's this that does. It tenderizes us. It opens us. It allows us more and more to allow. And 
This happens every time we sit, whether it's what we think of as a productive sit or a miserable sit. Every time we're able to be with it and stay with it and allow and relax into it, we tenderize ourselves. We're learning how to shift with what's happening through that, that practice. Um, talking about energy, but another word that goes with energy in this practice is effort. Um, in fact, the word in Pali, virya, is sometimes translated as effort and sometimes translated as energy. So as far as uh, the time uh, the Buddha's teachings were translated, these two things um, apparently were very close in hand. And I think that's true even now. And so when we think about the level of effort that we are putting in, um, you know, if I take the striker here and I hold it just with ease, I don't have to think about it, I just hold it. I could hold this striker probably for a really long time. I could probably walk around with this for days without it being hurtful. You know, it wouldn't become heavy at some point. Um, if I strain to hold on to this striker and I, you know, I'm kind of white knuckling it and I'm trying so hard to hold this thing, if I walked around for days like this, I don't even know if I'd be able to do it. At some point, I think the muscles in my hand would have enough and I would have to let go. It would be exhausting just from holding the same striker in this way. Or if I were to be really loose about it and not really fully hold it, um, I probably would drop it many, many times during the day. I could probably walk around a long time like this, but I'd probably have to be picking it up uh, over and over again. So our practice is very much like this, our attention, what we do with our attention in our mindfulness practice. If we're trying too hard, if we're efforting because we're trying to make it a certain way, our practice feel and have the experience be a certain way, if we're trying too hard, it's exhausting. We exhaust ourselves. We lose our energy. We lose our energy. We fall into doubt. We get frustrated, right? We fuel these different hindrances that just attack us from every direction. Oftentimes, I find uh, when, within my own practice and also working with uh, practitioners who share, you know, this is what's happening. Um, effort is often involved. When we're over-efforting, we might not even know it. You know, um, for some of us, this is our mode, is over-efforting. You probably know exactly who you are. (laughs) Everything is like full on and um, maybe tight and strained. And maybe, uh, maybe you're noticing this just now in your life. Maybe this isn't your regular mode. But societally, there's certain norms right now in our society that 
you know, says, yeah, that's the way we should be doing it. I was just listening to something, I think on the radio, um, they were saying that lunch is totally out. <laughs> lunch is totally out for the working person, that it's completely normal now, um, and uh, not only normal, but um, encouraged to eat your lunch at your desk while you're working, that you eat through your lunch, or you uh, work through your lunch. Um, so going out for lunch or, or going and in, in, um, enjoying your lunch, having a lunch hour <laughs> is, is kind of frowned upon. Maybe this isn't everywhere, but this is what they were saying on the radio. So it must be true. And I just thought, how sad is that? That we're just, we just keep moving in that extreme. You know, this is not the middle way. <laughs> um, you know, we just keep moving in, in these directions of uh, over-efforting, doing so much. Production, production, it's all about production, the amount of production. Are we busy? Busyness is valued. You know, I, 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 a friend of mine, actually, a fellow teacher, was saying, I was always saying, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, and I started to notice that I felt kind of important because of that. <laughs> and when I said, I'm not so busy, I felt like, well, why aren't I busy? <laughs> there must be something I should be doing. And it's this mentality that we bring to our life, but we bring it into our practice, of course, as well, and into our over-efforting. Some effort is required, but how much that there's an art to it. There's an art to it, and again, it's always changing depending on our mental state, our physical state, uh, just where we're at in our life. We might need a little more, we might need a little less, but there will always be that line of moving into too much effort. We're tight, our forehead is creased, our shoulders are up to our ears, our stomach is in some kind of knot. Can we, can we release and allow and relax a little bit? of that efforting to come into some balance. And then, of course, there's the other side of it, of just not enough effort. We move into more of kind of um, a laziness or um, just this sense of, um, I don't know, what's the right word for it? It's, it's um, kind of a whatever. <laughs> Maybe that's generational. <laughs> but um, we can easily fall into uh, this, this state of, um, of, of a lazy mind and a lazy heart, just not caring enough about it, you know? It doesn't become valuable. It's not as important. Um, maybe it's even fe- it feels a little cool to not care, that whole thing. And so we have this kind of sloppy practice that, you know, we kind of get into it. We'll get in the posture and feel like, you know, I'm doing something, right? (laughs) Even you are. If you're getting into the posture, that is something. But could there be a little bit more? Sometimes we need to actually apply our intentions a little bit stronger. Um, So finding this balance of effort is really important to living this 
and practicing this middle path. Again, it's an art form. And then there's something that happens when we're patient, when we're allowing, when we have this effort that's balanced, when we're aware of the energy that's in our body and in our mind, when all of this starts to come together and it stops being awkward and we don't have to think about it so much, it just becomes this more, more of a natural way of being in the world. There becomes this sweetness that comes in. There's this joy that comes in, this contentment that comes in. We're able to ride the changes within ourself, within our own internal experiences, with the external experiences. Um, there's just this a gliding that happens. The effort is almost effortless. It's there, but you are not doing it anymore. How many of you have experienced this in your practice? Where it's like, you're, just, you're there, you're doing it, so there's that level of effort, but otherwise, you're not doing much. The mind just kind of knows what to do. And there's awareness there, there's some concentration, some continuity. How many of you have experienced that? Oh, good. What's some words that come with that? How does it feel when you're in that space? You can just shout them out and I'll repeat them. Flow. Yeah. What else? Think about it. What is it? Ease. Ease. Uh-huh. Put, bring yourself there. Just right now. To remember that time. What was that like? There's a flow. There's ease. What else? Oh, say again. Serenity. Effortless. Wakefulness. Success. Success. <sighs> and then maybe you haven't experienced it in your practice, but have you experienced it in your life where it's just like things are flowing? Maybe it's just for a day, you know, but things are just flowing. You don't have to try very hard, you're not trying to be anyone. You're just in it. You're present. You're enjoying it. There's a sweetness that comes with this practice when we're patient and when we are allowing. When we stay present, even in the difficulty, there's this reward that can happen. This is, um, I'll read just the beginning of a commentary by Tanisaro Bhikkhu, um, who's a monk and... and prolific writer and translator of the Buddhist texts. He calls this a joyful effort. When explaining meditation, the Buddha often drew analogies with the skills of artists, carpenters, musicians, archers, and cooks. Finding the right level of effort, he said, is like a musician tuning a lute. A lute is um, it's a stringed instrument, I believe, kind of like a, almost like a banjo, but with one string, I believe. 
Those of you who know better can tell me afterwards, but it's something like that. So the musician's tuning of a lute. Reading the mind's needs in the moment to be gladdened, steadied, or inspired is like a palace's cook or a palace cook's ability to read and please the taste of a prince. So these are the different images that the Buddha um, created to talk about this joyful effort. Collectively, these analogies make an important point. Meditation is a skill, and, a master- and mastering it should be enjoyable in the same way that mastering any other rewarding skill can be. The Buddha said as much to do, uh, uh, sorry, the Buddha said as much to his own son, Rahula. When you see that you've acted, spoken, or thought in a skillful way, conducive to happiness while causing no harm to yourself or others, take joy in that fact and keep on training. Of course, saying that meditation should be enjoyable doesn't mean that it will always be easy and pleasant. Every meditator knows it requires serious discipline to sit with long, unpleasant stretches and untangle all the mind's difficult issues. But if you can approach difficulties with an enthusiasm that an artist approaches challenges in her work, the discipline becomes enjoyable. Problems are solved through your own ingenuity, and the mind is energized for even greater challenges. And so this is the attitude, I think, that we can bring to, um, to this aspect of our practice. That it's actually, it can be fun. That it can be a challenge, but the kind of challenge that uh, really interests us. It allows us to lean in. Think of something in your life that is like that for you. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's problem-solving a certain type of problem. Um, maybe it's relational. It's something that just you get excited about when there's a bit of a challenge or maybe a big challenge. It's something that you lean into with excitement. Ooh, I got to figure this out. Ooh, I'm going to work with this. Oh, what if I just try it this way? I try it this way. This is how we work with our practice in a way that's actually wise and skillful. It's a way that we can be with our different energies and efforts to be able to calculate and calibrate um, to where we are in any single moment without it being this friction, this rub that we otherwise find ourselves in. So I think I'll stop there and we'll just take, maybe there's a few comments or questions um, and then we'll dedicate the merit. Anybody have any questions or thoughts about what I'm talking about? No, nothing. All right, then.
well then I'll happily dedicate the merit and we'll leave just a little early this evening. So, uh, let's see if I can find it quickly. Like that, that line um, that Tanasaro Bhikkhu was recalling the teachings of the Buddha to his son Rahula, uh, when, when you see that you've acted, spoken, or thought in a skillful way, conducive to happiness while causing no harm to yourself or others, take joy in the, that fact and keep on training. That is what we're doing here. When we come together in this way and we practice together and we listen to the Dharma and we take it in, um, there's a wholesomeness that's collected uh, within ourself. There's so many things we could have done this evening. This is a very wholesome choice. There could be other wholesome choices too, but this is for sure a wholesome choice. And so with that in mind... Um, we know that when we go out into our life, when we've practiced in this way and when we're um, setting our, our intentions uh, week after week, if you're coming week after week, to live a life that is within this middle path, uh, that has a ripple effect. It has an effect. It has an effect on our own life, but it has an effect on the people around us, the people we care dearly about, the people we interact with on a day-to-day basis. Um, it goes even further than that. It ripples out in ways that we don't even know. And so in that spirit, uh, we can dedicate this, this time together, this wholesomeness, uh, dedicate it out into the world to all beings everywhere that it may not just be for the benefit of ourselves, but for all beings. And in particular, this evening, a special metta to Linda, um, who was taken to the emergency room this afternoon and remains there now. So to all beings everywhere, may all beings be safe and safe from outer and inner harm. May all beings have happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. <laughs>